kind of a recap. We're going to go through the history kind of quick today because there's a lot of theological stuff. So first of all, a review of the condition of Corinth. <clears throat> this is a bad church. I made jokes a few weeks ago. This would be like a church in Northport. It's a really bad church. I'm just kidding, people. Goodness sakes. <clears throat> but they're distracted by tongues. In other words, spiritual gifts and these charismatic, miraculous gifts. They're obsessed with them and they're, 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 they're distracted by them. And Paul says these things don't matter. All that matters is love. They're distracted by immorality. Paul confronts them on the fact that there are people in your church that are living ridiculous lives that are so immoral, even non-Christians are disgusted by how you're behaving sexually. And they're also distracted by greed, position, authority, money, and power. So this is a church that is very, very distracted. You know what else the problem they have is? They're obsessed with reconciling the gospel with the world. What they're trying to do is take this gospel message and mix it with worldly, ungodly philosophy to make it more appealing, to make it more palatable to the world around them. This gospel message is too simple. It's too harsh. It's too judgmental. We have to soften it. We have to change it. So they began to mix earthly philosophers with the teachings of Jesus. Then the last thing is they are so preoccupied with church stuff, they forgot the gospel. They are so busy being a church, they forgot about the whole reason there is a church, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that is a, uh, a review of the condition of the church in Corinth. That's the historical part of this passage. So let's read it now. Now I would remind you, this is the last thing he says to the Corinthian church. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. I love that he says being saved, currently being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless, of course, you believed in vain, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And here he goes. He boils it down. You ever wonder what the gospel really is? Here it is. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter or Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. In other words, some had died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believe. In other words, Paul is saying, just in case you forgot, let me remind you what the gospel is, because you seem to have gone far afield. You're starting to mix in stuff that is irrelevant. Let's talk about the theology. Now, why was it good to be reminded about the gospel? Why is it good today to be reminded about the gospel? Well, Joe, don't we already know this? Haven't you already preached this stuff before? Yeah, I have. Be quiet. I'm doing it again. As my friend Tullian says, 
He has one bullet in his gun, and it's the gospel, and he's going to shoot it every Sunday. That's all we have. There are some things that the modern church is trying to teach about the gospel and the cross. Even in our own town, there are big influential churches that have recently shifted away from the gospel of Jesus and added heresy to it, trying to make it more marketable, more palatable, more philosophically in line with how Americans think. And I'm going to give you some popular theories about the cross. And I'm a little nervous about sharing these, so I want you to bear with me. It's, this is kind of a little bit of, um, it's kind of seminary-level stuff, but I think you can handle it after four years of me boring you. I think I can bore you one more day with this stuff. But it's very important for you to understand some of the ways that the American church, even the church in Sarasota, has become like Corinth. There's the first theory about the cross. Why did Jesus die? Because it was a ransom to Satan. Now, this is a ridiculous theory. Christ paid a ransom to Satan to purchase man's freedom and release from being enslaved by Satan. In other words, we are enslaved to evil because of the devil. And what Christ did was, here, Satan, here, just take my death and let my people go. Fairy tale. Ridiculous. Then there's what we call the moral reversal theory. Christ reversed the course of mankind from disobedience to obedience. It believes that Christ's life and death reversed all the stages of human life. In doing so, reversed the course of us being people who are prone to sin and makes us people who are prone to righteousness. So basically what it's saying is what Jesus did when Jesus died on the cross, he made all men good. If that's the case, we wouldn't have ISIS. We wouldn't have riots. We wouldn't have all the terrible things in the world today. So that theory is also a load of untruth. (laughs) Caught myself there, so. (laughs) Don't laugh too hard, I'll get in trouble. All right. There's another theory. It's called the moral influence theory. This one's very, very popular. Christ's death is a demonstration of God's love, which causes man's heart to soften and repent. In essence, Christ's death was him giving us an object lesson of true love. And it wasn't to pay for any sins. It softens the real state of man's total depravity and gives room for man's free will and salvation. This is made popular by a man named Rob Bell. This is the moral influence theory, that Jesus didn't have to die, but he chose to die, not for sin, but just so we would know how much he loves us. This is also untrue, and this one is actually quite dangerous. It is a movement sweeping the American church today. Then you have the universal access theory of what the cross was about, that Christ's death provides redemption for all religious people. You don't have to believe in Jesus. Just believe in something. Believe in yourself. Believe in the books. That takes even more faith. (laughs) Or the Knowles. Good liar over there. (laughs) Let me explain what these theories are. They're all wrong. All of them are attempts by man to take the work of Jesus, the work of the gospel, and somehow make it more palatable. It can't be that simple. 
It can't be the fact that just Jesus loved us and died for, a sin, died for our sins so that we could have life. It can't be that. It's got to be something a lot more complicated. It has to be something more brilliant. It has to be something that really, really smart people would embrace. It has to be something that is very universal. Unfortunately, all those are wrong. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to explain to you the fact that there is way too much invested in the gospel. There's way too much invested in the gospel for us to be messing with it. Here's what the scripture really has to say about what the gospel is. That Christ is a substitutionary sacrifice that satisfies the demands of God's justice upon sin. In other words, Christ died because of and for our sins. Christ died for our sins. Isaiah 53, I'm going to read a couple of verses to you. I think you're going to like these. I'm just going to read them. <clears throat> but he was pierced for our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the judgment that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we receive healing. Daniel 9, 26. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall live or shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are, dec- uh, desolations are decreed. This is a scripture telling us that Jesus will be cut off and killed. Galatians chapter 1, 3 through 5. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself, why? For our sins, to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. I don't know how anybody can say that Jesus didn't die for sins. It's it's beyond me. I don't understand. I mean, if, if you're a Christian and you believe the Bible, you can't really say anything else, right? You want some more proof? 1 Peter chapter 1, 10 and 11. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who talked about grace <clears throat> that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what persons or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted that the sufferings of Jesus Christ would bring the glories to come. The sufferings of Christ. And then the last one. He bore our sins. Wow, that kind of blows it away, doesn't it? He bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. We were like straying sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. So let me just make sure you understand something about this sin thing. We're all sinners. We're all pretty bad. We all are flawed. We all are deficient. Here's the problem. We can't do anything about it. A lot lot of religions say you got to work for it. You got to do more good than bad. You'll never win. That's why Christ came to die for those sins. The other part of the gospel is that Christ was buried and resurrected. There's just a few verses. There are a ton, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to give you a couple. Hosea 6.2. This is in the Old Testament. This is years before Jesus was even born. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him, a prophecy of the resurrection. Matthew 12, 40. 
For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. A prophecy of the fact that he would die. In John 2, 22. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So that's the scripture about Christ dying, Christ buried and resurrected. And then the last part he talks about in this passage is that Christ interacted with many after his resurrection just so that everyone knew there was a record. I'm just going to give you one passage out of many from what we read today. And he appeared to Peter and then the 12 disciples. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, though some had fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Last of all, he appeared to me. So when Jesus died and he resurrected, he didn't go up real quick so he didn't have to prove it. He showed himself to many. So thank you for bearing with me through that part of the sermon. Because I want to make sure that you understand what the work of Christ on the cross was. It was intentional. For sins. It was costly because of sins. And it was thorough, conquering the results of sins, which is death. That's what the work of Christ on the cross did. Any other theory is a lie. That's what Christ did on the cross. So what do we do with the devotional part of this? Don't waste your time. I was talking to Megan about this this week. And, you know, one of the things that makes me a little bit of an odd pastor is I'm pretty conservative theologically when it comes to the scripture and the gospel, but I'm very progressive when it comes to how I do ministry. As a matter of fact, I've been fired three times because of it. I can't believe I've been fired yet here. I, I don't understand it, but whatever. <laughs> so I approach ministry kind of strange. Like I'm, I'm very conservative in what the scripture says, and I, and I believe the gospel, and I believe the basic tenets of the Christian faith, but at the same time, the ministry that I have is sort of progressive, a little bit more edgy, and I was talking to Megan about it this week. There is room to be creative, progressive, and unconventional in how you love people, in how you reach out. There is room for that. Because there's grace, there is room. There's not one set way that you have to do ministry. But there is no room to be creative or progressive about the gospel. I can tell you this in my ministry, as edgy as it may be in some areas, and as offensive it to, to many church people as it may be in some areas, I have never once had to compromise the message of the gospel to reach the heart of someone who needed love. Not one time have I ever had to compromise it. It's always been effective. Sometimes my modes of ministry have been ineffective, but the gospel has never been ineffective. And I don't preach it to church people very much. Well, it's you guys. But you don't look like church people. That's a compliment. See, that's going to get me fired. I, I, I just said that. I, I can't win. The gospel must be this. Christ dying for our sins, buried and resurrected. Otherwise, it's just a waste of religion. Galatians 1, 6 through 9. Here's what Paul says in Galatians. I preached in Galatians last summer, and this is the first chapter, and I preached a sermon on this passage. It was called No Room for Others. Some of you may remember it. 
I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we were an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, don't listen. Cut them off. Guys, listen. Jesus didn't come as a man to die for our sins. By the way, a horrific death. One of the best movies that did a good job of accurately, historically showing his suffering was The Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson. Say what you want about him. That movie was done well. And the, center, uh, the, the way he put the sufferings of Christ to film on the screen was pretty amazing. Jesus didn't come to suffer in that way, to die for our sins, to be buried and to defeat the grave, to appear before hundreds for verification about the message of the resurrection just so we could come up with other gospels, other theories about atonement, other theories about his work on the cross. He didn't do all of that just so we could say, well, what Jesus said isn't necessarily entirely true. Well, what Jesus said back then, it doesn't apply to today. We can make it more relevant. There's no room for that. He didn't come to make room for other gospels. The scripture made it clear what it's all about. All other gospel ideas all other gospel theories must move over because there is no room for them. So, just in case you forgot, we've been doing this series for a long time, Move Over. One of the things that we have to recognize, I remember when I first, I remember when I first got here like four years ago, and I was preaching a message like this. And um, there were some people that got upset with me. And I remember it, and it really bothered me that I made them upset. No, I'm just kidding. It didn't really bother me. <laughs> I mean, it did, because I don't like anyone to hate me, because, you know, I'm very insecure. I am, I am, believe me, I am. So, but I was faced with a dilemma, which is, well, maybe I should moderate my tone. I mean, I've just got here. Maybe I should just kind of try to win people over first and moderate my tone. Maybe I shouldn't be so dogmatic about the gospel of Jesus. Then I was reminded, why am I even in ministry if that's the case? See, the cross leaves no room, guys. We must move over for the gospel. We must make room for it, for there is no room left for anything else that might contradict what Paul defines as the gospel. And what is it? Christ died for our sins, was buried in accordance with the Scriptures. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Now that is something glorious to make room for, huh? We don't need to adjust it in any way. 
We don't need to try to make it more palatable. How could anything be more palatable than this? Hey, you want salvation? It's free. You don't got to be a good Presbyterian. You don't got to be a good Baptist. You don't got to be a good Buddhist. You don't got to be a good Mormon. You don't have to be a good Catholic. You don't have to be a good Muslim. All you have to do is trust the fact that Christ died for your sins and conquered the grave so that you might have life. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And even that faith is what? It's a gift, not by works or else you'd brag. There is no room for bragging if you believe in the gospel. Make room. There's no room to brag. There's no room to adjust. There's no room to make it more palatable. The gospel is all there is room for when it comes to salvation. Guys, let me just summarize with this. If you don't know what peace with God looks like, it doesn't come through being good because you can't. It doesn't come through going to church every week. Believe me, you can't. I've seen a lot of you miss. I have a spreadsheet, an Excel spreadsheet. (laughs) Google Docs, I'll share it with you. Um, You can't be good enough at religion. The only way is through the gospel, which is that Christ died for your sin so that you would not have to. And he didn't stop there. He conquered the result of sin, which is death, through the resurrection. Is it supposed to be that simple? You betcha. It's that simple. It's grace. It's grace. It's the gospel. Hashtag grace life. I hope that as you celebrate Mother's Day and you're with family, one of the things that might ring in your head through the rest of the day is that there is no room for any other connection to God but the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. Amen.